0: Picture a bright blue ball just spinning free, dizzy with eternity, painted with a skin of sky rushes. Good privacy. afternoon. Now it's afternoon when I'm talking to you. It's uh, November 20th, the Wednesday before the short. Short week of Thanksgiving. Um, amazing, it's already almost Thanksgiving time. Up, this was uh, the fall of, of the IEI Road Tour. I never thought we'd get to this part in the fall when I'm actually home for a few weeks. So, I'm uh, Doug Roberts, founder CEO of the Institute for Education Innovation. You're listening to Talk Soups and CEOs. We're really glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Please tell your friends if you like what you're hearing here on Talk Soups, Please tell them to subscribe. We're uh, a little podcast that could, but we're here to support the work of, um, of the Institute and of our member superintendents and our great partners from the K-12 industry. So this episode I'm really excited about as I am about all our episodes, but this episode we talk with Dr. PJ Kaposi, the superintendent of Meriden 223 out in, um, about an hour outside of Illinois. And, um, Sorry, not Meriden, Meridian 223. Meriden is in Connecticut. Um, but uh, so Dr. Capose is a, a great superintendent. He is on the young side um, in terms of the average age of a superintendent. I don't know exactly how old PJ is, but um, he's, he skews on the younger side of the average age of superintendents. Yet he's been in the job for seven years. Um, which is, you know, ahead of the average tenure of of a typical superintendent. Um, And it's, uh, I'm really excited about this conversation with PJ for a whole variety of reasons. First of all, let me back up a sec. So um, at our IEI convenings, we always have a theme. So the theme for a January convening is safety and security. And that really is just sort of, it's a way to organize the discussions and workshops we're going to have amongst our superintendents. Um, It doesn't say anything about uh, what kind of partners can come or not come. The, the the partner experience at IEI is agnostic of the theme. However, with the theme, um, it helps sort of organize our thoughts and then that becomes the subject of the position paper that we publish after the summit. And we did a, summer, a, a, a survey of IEI members and what we came up with is leadership will be the theme of our May gathering in New Orleans. And I think part of me was thinking, you know, this is sort of a broad topic, but that's sort of what's great about IEI. We can take a broad topic and turn it into something that can be very productive for our members, because this is one of the only conferences where they come and present to each other. And then we have lots of, we bake a lot of time into the program for discussion about the topic. So we can have soups presenting to each other and then having time to discuss that. Those discussions are, are the raw material for the position paper that we publish. So we're going to talk about leadership for two and a half days, which is going to be great for, for everyone in the room, including yours truly. Um, and the, the conversation that, that you're about to listen to between PJ and me, um, it's, it touches on an aspect of leadership that I think entrepreneurial leaders, and I, I count PJ and several of our superintendents as, um, entrepreneurial minded leaders. Um, and I'll explain why in a second, but it's, it's the, there's a point in everybody's leadership career where you have to sort of, you have to shift gears. You have to realize that you no longer, um, you know, you're you no longer at the stage that you once were at. Um, for me, I know that I can speak personally that I'm I'm prone to constantly feeling like, uh, you know, there's a fire to put out. I think like a like a startup leader all the time. And then there are times when there are processes and there are other people executing those processes and pivoting from, you know do everything myself and put out all the fires to scalable process has been um, a a growth area for me over the past few years. And uh, as we've scaled IEI up, as we bring people on, um, and I know that that's that's a challenge that many leaders face. And it's one that, you know, we all try to go and, and get great advice from mentors and friends. And I'm actually working with a really great executive coach who's a friend and former colleague and um, and she helps me kind of think through these processes. and it's really great to have have that kind of work therapist to talk about that aspect of things, but also you know colleagues and folks who work here. Um, you know, we work together to try to kind of um, work through that change. And it was great to hear P.J talk about his, his experience um, going through that same, you know, his, I asked him what a, one of his major kind of learning moments was about himself as a leader, and he said that he was he was, still leading at year three or four um, like he was solving the problems that he found in year one when he felt that there was a lot of things that had to happen in a short amount of time and his team sort of said whoa Dr. Capose, um, hold on you know let, let's work together on this stuff we don't need to you know run 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 around like chickens with their heads cut off I'm paraphrasing what he said but but I've had you know people here including uh, including Tiffany, our, our great director of operations here at, at IEI, who uh, is always good about telling me when I'm when I'm uh, I'm running too fast and trying to get too much done, um, and not and getting none of it done well. Um, and so I think that that's that's clearly going to be a theme of our discussions about leadership when when we discuss this topic in in New Orleans in May. So I'm excited that that the group chose that as a topic. I think it provides a really great opportunity for interesting. Um, uh, Program of speakers and interesting workshops from everybody um, in our group around the country. So uh, this was a great uh, this was a great month for IEI. I finished up last week in Dallas at the NAABZ convention, the National Association of Black School Educators. We had a great dinner with um, a couple of our members in attendance: Dr. Marlon King from Fayette County, Tennessee, and new member Dr. Serena Shivers from um, Redford, Michigan. Dr. Eli Bracey, superintendent of Portsmouth Public Schools in Virginia, and of course, um, Tracy Davis, who's now an emeritus superintendent from Washoe County, Nevada, but um, yeah, still on our advisory board and still um, helping us be better and be great. And so um, we were together with a, with a great group of superintendents and other educators out uh, in Dallas at the NAVZ conference last week and had a really great dinner and good, good discussion and that was a really great way to end the fall 19 IEI Roadshow Uh, met a lot of really great people from Ohio to Virginia to Western Kentucky to 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 Dallas and uh uh of course you know here here the home team in in New York State and uh it was it was great got to meet a lot of people got to tell a lot of people about the work we're doing at IEI and looking forward to seeing some of those people show up at our conference and so um you know, leadership is 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 one of the it's one of the hardest things to um, to think about because you have to think reflectively about about your practice. And I'm I'm really I know that I'm personally trying to think about how to be a better leader all the time. And I'm excited to sit down and listen to our group uh, kick this idea around in May. So, but here enjoy this conversation with Dr. Capozzi and me. And of course, if you want to learn more about IEI, you can find us on Twitter at IEI underscore K twelve. We have a couple spots left for the Palm Springs convening. If you're interested, either you're a superintendent who's met us this fall and you want to learn more about what we do, um, or you're a uh, a partner who wants to learn more about how to partner with us and our member districts, you can email me Doug at institute institute for ed innovation.com Our newsletter is going out this week. Uh, I think end of this week or maybe right before Thanksgiving, our first newsletter, quarterly newsletter. And um, that's that's really exciting. And also, I've just found out um, today, actually, that I'm going to be on a panel representing IEI at the Software Information Industry Association's EdTech Business Forum in New York City here in New York on December 9th, Monday, December 9th actually at the Princeton club of New York city and I'm a Princeton alum. So that's kind of cool. Um, so if anybody's going to be at the SIA in New York, please do come see us, come say hi. And I'll be talking about, um, you know, organizations like ours and others and, and why they, why they are or when and why they can be valuable as you seek to build your, your business in K 12. So I hope to represent our member superintendent's voices loudly and proudly at that event. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great, great end of the fall as we head into holidays here. So this is probably our, well, let's see, I may try to get, I, I'm talking with, um, with, uh, Dr. Shively from Paducah, Kentucky next week and his deputy superintendent, Will Black. Those of you who've listened to the other Talk Soup's episodes, you'll, you'll note that, um, there is an acapella theme <laughs> to some of my colleagues in the industry. Uh, you heard the Eric Westendorf Learn Zillion episode. Eric and I sang together in a college singing group. Well, guess what will black the deputy superintendent in paducah kentucky and i also sang in the same college singing group together with eric and so there'll be some acapella talk when we do that episode next week so we're going to try to get that done right before the holiday and i'll try to get it i'll try to get it posted before we all head into thanksgiving turkey coma so um everybody have a great thanksgiving thanks for listening to talk soups and ceos please be in touch if you want to learn more and uh Enjoy the talk with with renowned author and uh, superintendent from Illinois, P.J. Capozzi. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome back to TalkSoups and CEOs here with one of our favorite superintendents who's also been a, uh, a speaker at the IEI conference, Dr. PJ Capozzi, out in Chicagoland. Good morning, PJ. How are you?
1: I'm awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: Good. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. So um, it's been great to uh, We've really enjoyed our, our relationship with, with PJ over the years. Um, we missed you at the last summit, but you sent the great Joe Mullican, who everyone loved. Um, Good. and I think he, is he coming back next time? or are you both coming or
1: he's going to come to California? Then I'll be back in new Orleans. Awesome.
0: Someday. I mean, you can, both of you can come sometime if that ever worked out, that would be, great. I don't
1: know that, uh, that you guys can handle that
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> and what would happen back in Meridian, right right uh, uh, Dr. Capozzi is the superintendent of Meridian two two three in Illinois, which is you're about like an hour outside Chicago.:
1: Yeah, about eighty miles pretty much due west of Chicago. great.
0: you born and raised there?
1: I was n- not where I'm born and raised in Chicago land. Uh, yeah. my first time in Ogle County was for a job interview, so no I'm not from not from out this way.
0: great. I'm curious, um, and I want to hear how you know your career trajectory. But how does that how does that play out in in Meridian? You know, you being not from there, and how do you how do you sort of manage that?
1: It's been interesting. So I was in the neighboring district as a principal for four years, and uh, the district has similar boundary size, similar schools, uh, and similar score everything was very similar and they were extraordinarily welcoming when i came in like they wanted to take me under the wing and make me um, part of the community right away
0: yeah how many years have you been there
1: this is my seventh year
0: seventh year i mean that's to be i mean so many superintendents don't make it that long um the smaller the district the the longer it is you're likely to be there but still um well done and uh you know especially hard when you when you come from a different community i know that you know um, in every community I've lived in or been part of, there's always sort of like, you know, if you're not, if you're not from here, um, you know, do we, you know, it takes a little while to get to know each other. So, um, good for you. And, um, tell us about how you, how you came to Marini. So you, you, you came from Chicagoland, um, what brought you to education? What brought you to teaching and, and principaling and all
1: that? Yeah. So short story long, um, I was always considering teaching uh, my junior year of high school. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I went through kind of total life-changing experience
0: junior um, year and, high school.
1: Yes. And wow, so I never first knew time, this about I, you. That's insane. Yeah, so I'm i uh, I've had three bouts. So this is um, my first one was junior high school. And up until then, like I enjoyed school. I love school, you know, class president, like everything on paper was great, but I didn't necessarily see the value or utility in it. Um, simply because I had two amazing parents and yeah. um, kind of grew up in a privileged lifestyle. And so um, my teachers were great, but they were just kind of auxiliary to the, to the, to my path. Um, when I got sick, my teachers really stepped up and some of them kind of carried me along the finish line to make sure that I stayed on advanced programming and working toward college credit and things in high school. And so I saw in that moment, the value that a teacher can have to a kid that I just, my eyes weren't open to prior to that experience and so Amazing. at that at that moment I said I want to become a teacher and so uh, the the drive for me was that I wanted to teach kids that were traditionally underserved because um, when I was in my moment of need that's when teaching was valuable to me um, mm-hmm. so the entirety of my teaching career was in Chicago Public Schools at uh, Percy Levon Julian High School really um, like a wonderful place to be from um, but really kind of sad circumstances. My, our last year there, we had eight students die violent deaths. I mean, so it was just a, yeah. a different environment. So I wanted to become an administrator, um, like immediately, because when I got in, I was like, there's a lot to fix. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of went into fix control mindset and got my certification, but then I didn't want to live in the city. Correspondingly at that time, I had two young children. Right. So I wanted to stay in urban education. At that time, Rockford, Illinois was the second largest urban system in Illinois. So, right. We moved out to Rockford, um, took a job as assistant principal, and things went, um, things were going going well, um, but I got divorced. And so my Mm
0: -hmm.
1: then ex-wife moved back to the Burbs, and so I was just going to head back and and be by her and the kids. And so I kind of applied for every job that was on the trip home. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought I'd be an assistant principal back in the Burbs at this point. And halfway home, there was a little town called Oregon, Illinois, that I would see on the turnoff, and uh, Mm -hmm. they had a principal opening. So I threw my hat in the ring. Um, they opened and closed it like four times because they couldn't get the contract agreements with who they wanted. So I was like the fourth choice. Um, and I was just young and cheap. In, the,
0: in other words, um, there were other people ahead of you in the line.
1: And, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I was just cheap um, yeah. with a lot of potential, I like to say. So uh, yes. so I was hired as a high school principal at 27. Um, went through my first, kind of in my first year and a half, we um, parted ways with 20% of our staff, mm-hmm. um, which was complete culture shock for that area and so then the last two to three years of my principalship was about rebuilding culture and figuring out how a path forward and me learning that programs and policies weren't the way to success I had to use people um, and had to serve people and uh, that kind of launched me into the neighboring district as superintendent I was the fifth superintendent in three calendar years in this district um, mm-hmm. so been able to hopefully provide some stability and I think we're on a, on a good path forward here
0: that's great well good good that's uh, that's quite a story i i'm I'm, uh, I'm sorry to hear you had to struggle with disease so early in your life, but it sounds like you rebounded and um, you know that's that's a pretty cool story and that it launched you into this career working with kids and teachers is uh is cool so that's what's great about this podcast I learn all these things about everybody who I thought I, you know all these people i've known for a while and then i you, you tell these great stories um so so what's so tell us what's going on in in Meridian this year what's the What's the what's the thing you started the school year thinking, or one of what what's what's the handful of things on your short list you started the year trying to work on, and how's it going?
1: So we've implemented just oodles of change over a handful of years. When I sat down at my leadership team, I gave them five minutes. Let's write down every change that we've um, implemented since since I've been here, and we did this like a year ago. So in the first five years, just on a Google sheet in five minutes, we had like 171 changes. I mm-hmm. mean, um, we're a small district, 2,000 kids, four buildings, right? And so the the thought for this year was we had a handful of changes kind of already in the works in January, February of last year, some um, vendor partners and some other things that we wanted to bring in. Um, But largely this year was about teams and trying to reestablish that we call ourselves a PLC, but we, in essence, aren't, weren't a PLC. We just had a lot of team meetings. And so recommitting to understanding that process and then trying to stay the course and, and see if the changes we're making are going to have, the benefits that we think, and we believe that they will. And the only way that we can do that is by supporting teams and supporting humans and Mm -hmm. not uh, relying on the programs or policies. So like for, I feel like we've made our teachers kind of drink out of a fire hose of change for five years. And so um, the next two to three years is going for good reason. I'm,
0: I'm assuming you made these changes, not for changes, not for change sake, but to, to try to improve services to kids and families.
1: Yeah, so like I said, fifth superintendent in three calendar years. The only yeah. thing that was really going exceptionally well here um, was our teaching and learning. So our mm-hmm. teachers were doing a great job. Um, it was everything kind of above them that was a mess. Um, so we had to systematize that in a lot of ways. But I think the easiest example would be when I was hired, we didn't have working email. <laughs> um, we, we had no on-site backup um, of of documents wow. or service. So wow. we've gone from there to uh, not having wireless, um, mm-hmm. throughout the buildings. So now we're, you know, ubiquitous wifi. We're more yeah. than one to one. We're one and a half to one. Um, we're in a passing period. So I'm not sure if you're going to hear that. Are you hearing that in the background? Are you okay? No, we're good. Okay.
0: Even, even it, I mean, it, I've done these in soups offices, the phone rings, you know, it's like yep, yep. life is a gotcha. school district official. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <coughs> um, yeah. So the, the change has been continuous and, um, what we're working really hard to now is, I guess, systematizing the change, right? And so yeah. that we're not um, blindly shooting at um, different targets that we've really identified like acutely what our targets are. And now we're going to measure our progress and kind of go through a modified plan, do study act and, and move in a slower, more strategic way, because now we, we're not bleeding anymore right now. Now we just want to get Good. well, like we we were right. in trauma before. Now we've gotten to a point of stability. Now we're mm-hmm. just trying to get to a, a different place of wellness.
0: So reflecting back on the last 5 years of all these changes without mentioning any specific names of you know solutions or vendors or anything I'm just curious is there a, is there a change that you is there a change that you you sort of led that you would like to rethink or or have rethought you know how you do it better next time just speaking broadly
1: Yeah I mean I think that within every year I see a handful of things that I've done that I would like to redo I'd say the biggest thing is like about three years ago um, the re- feedback I've gotten, the reflection that I got was that I was not being an extraordinarily collaborative leader. And mm-hmm. at first that was fine because
0: where did you, where and how did you collect that feedback?
1: Um, Try to create a feedback rich environment. And, mm-hmm. and so um, I, I trust implicitly my leadership team. Um, and so some of it came from them. Some of it came from like, we have a strangely amazing relationship with our bargaining units. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some of the, frank feedback that we give each other, um, that kind of came out. And so at first that was fine because right. everything was on fire. So I could come in and I could do right. the things I needed to do and put, and then once that was the leader good,
0: they needed in the beginning.
1: Right. And then once things got good, I kind of kept leading from that modality. And then right. I realized that that, um, that was not the, the context had changed. Right. And I, I had yeah. changed the context. And so, uh, that said, that is not my strength. So my strength <laughs> is being decisive, directive, taking uh-huh. control of the situation and go. Yeah. Um, and so in trying to learn how to be more collaborative, I made some colossal mistakes. And so the mistakes I made were just more strategic in that I was collaborating on things that I shouldn't be collaborating on. Mm-hmm. And I was still holding tight some things I should be collaborating on. So like, just rookie mistakes that I should right. be making at this point in my career, but it's not, I was leading from a, a place of weakness instead of a place of strength. And right. I had to figure out how to mold that together. So that would, um, there was like a whole year where if I could take back the decision making um, processes, uh, I would, I feel like we slowed ourselves down considerably that year um, yeah. and had to repair relationships as a result of it. In some cases but that yeah. wasn't the case prior.
0: You know, what's interesting, it, it, um, when, I, when I'm off, you know, I, I, I live in two worlds. Like IEI lives in two worlds. That's how I've designed it. If we're going to be a superintendent think tank that moves the needle on what ideas need to get turned into solutions, that means that we've got to be able to talk superintendent and we've got to be able to talk entrepreneur and we've got to be able to talk investor, which is tied to entrepreneurs. There's no entrepreneur without investor. And um, when I tell people on the entrepreneur investor side of things that IEI superintendents are among the most entrepreneurial you're going to find sometimes people sort of say, huh? That like, those are two, you know, that's an oxymoron, entrepreneurial superintendent. And it's not about starting a business, having shareholders trying to make a billion dollars um, necessarily. Entrepreneurialism is about the, the sort of the, the leadership style sometimes and the, and the, 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 the sort of zeal for trying to get a lot done in a short amount of time and change management. It sounds like you guys have been going through, um, you know, that, <clears throat> that, trajectory and frankly it's one i've you know i was talking with with our iei board of directors the other day uh about you know what we're doing and i was trying to explain because our, our board of directors are all they're all superintendents uh either retired or or maybe it has to be
1: the worst possible board of directors
0: <laughs> hey no way <laughs> i love my board no i'm um, just
1: teasing you but it's gotta be yeah. it's you know i feel bad for our co-op directors and things that have me as their board it's gotta be bad. exactly
0: right. well, yeah iei is buy soups for soups but uh, it's also great because they were all you know once beholden to boards and now they're on a board but um it's very different than a public school board anyway so you know there was this kind of tension coming out in our discussion where i'm saying we you know we gotta like run 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 we're we're a startup we're a startup lean you know we gotta we're not iei is not established we can't just sort of hang out and wait for things to come to us and you know they were sort of saying well you know, we, we have kind of like been around a couple of years and we've done a couple of conferences. So at some point, you know, we can't always be in that, um, that like, you know, infancy startup mentality and you can't lead all the time. Like you're running around with your hair on fire. Although a guy like me doesn't have to worry about having my hair on fire, but, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, there's, it's something I'm thinking about is like, when do we start to sort of say, okay, um, we don't need to constantly be putting out fires, but rather um, you know, move more to like the sort of farming mentality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for us, the, I, the vernacular that we have chosen to use is just like when can we look to solve problems and, and then when do we have to look to systematize our processes? Mm-hmm. And so again, the thinking is that if we systematize our processes, we're spending time today that's going to save us time tomorrow so that we can move from work of responsiveness to work of productivity and significance. Um, the issue f- is that um, for us, we're extraordinarily lean. And so I am district office. And so right. it's hard to create like depth of systems that are so individual dependent. And so that's, that's our current challenge is figuring out how to create redundancy and skill. So uh, in a lot of ways, like I think our principals that are that are in our district and leaving our district to become superintendents, which is kind of the, the path that I hope for them, it, they're, they're leaving with a lot of superintendent skills because there's yeah. to do the work right that that's my depth, right? That's, that's my district office. That's my cabinet is essentially my principal. So they're all principal slash district office personnel trying to help us move forward.
0: Yeah. And that's why I always want to have a diversity of size in IEI. Some, some people look, you know, particularly larger company sponsors, I won't mention any names, but they'll look at us and go, Oh, you know, we're really, we're targeting districts, you know, 50,000 and up. And I say like, good luck. I mean, that's, that's great. I, I get why that makes sense from a business perspective, but you know, the, if you're trying to do something that's, that's new and innovative, it's, it's small districts led by innovative superintendents where they, where the superintendent has to kind of know all the aspects of the business where you can get your start. And from a business model perspective, the IEI superintendents kind of stick together. And we, we purposely have a network when we have small districts, we have a network of them in a place so they can work together. And, um, between our, you guys, our Illinois crew and our New York crew and our, um, our Georgia crew are a little larger districts, but and our Iowa crew that's growing, that, um, that network effect is part of how sponsors can sort of learn how a particular state works. And, um, you know, I, I, I am always out there touting the virtue of small school districts because, because you all know your business so well. And I think that makes you a better kind of advisor to one of our sponsors who comes.
1: And the change happens quickly, right? Like that's one of the things is that the amount of stuff that we've been able to get done, um, the same things that I complain about in terms of lack of resources and being lean, we're able to get done because a lot of because we are so lean and that, you know, when we're talking about change, um, that's a conversation of eight to 10 to 16, as opposed to, you know, we have to go to that 16 to get to this 60, to get to that 80, to get to that 120. There's a lot less bureaucracy. Um, The bureaucracy is, you know, my thought pattern. Um, So, um, (laughs) which, which could be confusing enough as it is.
0: Do you you run the risk of burning your team out?
1: So yes. Um, But they're hired specifically kind of knowing that I think. So um,
0: (laughs) like you're upfront that this is, this is an intense place to work.
1: Yeah. And well, I'm intense to work for, so I think that uh, um, like, I'm blessed with an amazing board and the community um, is, is, very, very supportive and incredibly proud of their schools, which is really cool. Um, so, but I think I am really hard to work for, um, mm-hmm. just simply because I, I, I demand a lot. Um, I, I think I give them a lot. I think they would tell you that, but, um, and I try to, I see this as a, a breeding ground for future superintendents. I think that's the best way to, to help grow your principals. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, it's, I'm not for everyone. yeah, I think we're in a good place.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I once had someone working for me tell me that I was literally driving them crazy and I think she was kinda joking, but at the same time that was that was good feedback for me that I need to um you know, I need I need to think more about myself as a leader and not just, you know, kind of just rah rah, you know, going going uh all all the you know, like full speed all the time. Absolutely. Um so talk more about your, about your superintendent development Academy that you I know you're not really a super development Academy, but talk about like that philosophy of leadership and developing your team. And cause you know, a more selfish person would say, I don't want to develop these people cause I want to keep them here working for me and not have to train new people all the time. So talk about that.
1: Well, either train them well and potentially lose them or don't train them well and have to keep them. Um, so I, I take, I take the first one of that. So yeah. the, um, So just to be clear, like I have one principal who, um, so I always equate employees in one of three areas. One is, um, that if I went to a different district, I'd steal them. The other one is that if my kids had to work for them or work under them, that I'd be super happy. And then the other one that you can just, so I would steal this person. Like they are amazing. And they have no interest in being a suit.
0: Um, and
1: she, she always teases, but that's, she's still getting trained. So she changes her mind at some point. Um, she, she's got the, the training for me. I just want people to stay unfinished. And I think very often people look at the principal as a destination position. Um, And so, Oh, I've got it here. I've kind of arrived in my, you know, it's an apex job in the profession. And just for me, I want to make sure that we rewire that. And then I want to, I think that just being in the soup role, um, there's a different level of strategic thinking. I think it's a lot more chess than checkers. Whereas I think at principal level, I think there's still a lot of checkers being played. And so just influencing that thinking of um, this is, this is why, this connects this way. Um, and I think it also really helps me because, um, I, I have the tendency to move way too fast. And so sometimes that affects my communication style. And so when I'm trying to make sure that I'm growing them as humans and leaders, and then also to be soups, then I, I'm much more intentional in explaining the how and the why. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes, so me being intentional to so that they can see how everything connects to each other and see why it's important that we treat our buildings and grounds workers a certain way. Um, Mm -hmm. Even because this is how it connects back to the long-term health of the district. Um, I think it's helped me slow down and help me be a more effective leader for them so that they can hopefully be a more effective leader for their people.
0: Great. No, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing that. Thanks for sharing. And that's why we always, it's one of the reasons that um, IEI wants our soups to bring, members of their team sometimes uh because that we hope helps in the development process um you know sometimes sometimes superintendents are wary about uh having a deputy see how how the soups live but um because it it is a, a little different um you know experience to go to a soup conference than a than an assistant or deputy soup conference but uh we always appreciate getting to know those folks and so do our sponsors um so let's um let's shift gears a little bit so first of all, i mean, I have a question about how you figure out how to do all this, but um, PJ is a, a, an established author. You've written six books, seven books, seven, seven books. And you know, and as I, and I look through the titles, making evaluation meaningful, manage your time, or your time will manage you, which was the subject of your talk at our uh, event last January, um, fully charged, looking at the young brain, teach smart, transform classroom from teacher centered to learner centered. And then developing the student voice, and then finally building a culture of support. These are the topics you've written on. It's almost like a a timeline, a trajectory of kind of where the conversation has been going largely, you know, writ large in K-12. We were all about evaluation a few years ago. And I know here in New York where I live, there was a big, big, big challenge for all the districts about kind of how we evaluate teachers and principals and the system that they came up with was was seen as deeply flawed by most of my superintendent colleagues and that caused all kinds of angst. And, and now everybody's, they've revised that system and everybody's much happier And the meetings at the up in Albany with the commissioner are much uh, more kumbaya than they used to be. Um, But, you know, and then like, we're also so many districts now are talking about, um, about culture and environment and assessing the environment and how everybody feels about, you know, both kids and teachers and families, how they feel about school. So, you know, you're, you're, you're right in the mix with all of these kind of really important topics. Um, what's it like to, you know, what, what made you decide to start writing and, um, you know, why do you enjoy it? And then how does that, um, you know, because you also end up going and doing, you're on the lecture circuit at times. So talk about that aspect of your work. Cause I think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so it was by accident. So it wasn't a strategic play to get into into the market. And so I wrote a blog for Edutopia. Um, it mm. got noticed by a publisher. The publisher reached out and asked if I would do some work for them and helping them basically be the critical eye. So anyone that's gone through the publishing process, you send in your pr- prospectus and then it goes out to a handful of anonymous people. And then they tell you whether it's amazing or horrible, most likely. Okay. Horrible. And a prospectus
0: um, is a draft?
1: It, so for most, every publishing company does a different style. Okay. So for most, it's first chapter, last chapter, um, Vita resume, whatever in a body chapter. So it's, so basically you're open and closing and then let's see if you can actually write. Um, and so that, that'll go out and then it comes to somebody like me. That's how I kind of started in the publishing industry to say, yep, this is good. This is bad. You know, this is the feedback I would give to the person. This would be good if, and, uh, so they sent me like four or five, you know, many manuscripts of which I had really harsh critical feedback. Shockingly, yeah. um, for all of them. And so then the the person reached back out and said, "If you have such harsh feedback, have you ever tried to write?" And I said, "Like I think I have a book in me, but I think it's like two decades down down the road." Right. And uh, he said, "Well, why don't you try flipping the the blog that you wrote in Edutopia that introduced me to you into a book?" I said, "Well, how's it work?" He, he explained the process. He goes, "One and then you'll get one of three pieces of feedback from us." feedback one is we'll give you a contract feedback two is you need to build up your brand essentially Mm -hmm. my my words, not his, but build up your brand. And then number three is thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And so I kicked out the prospectus in like a day and a half, which wasn't really like looking back on it. There was typos and it was, it wasn't the best, but (laughs) um, then when I'm on my honeymoon, came back from Jamaica, I had a contract in my mailbox. Amazing. Um, And so that, that was the start. It's completely accidental. So since then I've kind of shopped around to different publishers and, things are different now because I'm kind of established and right. um, I typically like to write the whole book now before I send it because I mm-hmm. want to have more editorial control. Like it's, I still want the feedback, but yeah. I want it to be my thoughts, not yeah. um, somebody else's. But typically what I've written on um, all of the books that I've written by myself have been kind of passion projects, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. I think that you typically write in one of two areas. One is you find the market niche, like, Hey, this is going to be hot. Let's get after it. Yeah, right. try to, Let's try to exploit that market cap. The other one is okay. I'm going to dedicate a ton of time in here and you don't really make a ton of like traditional bestseller in education land is 5,000 copies. Um, yeah. the, so you're, you're not making any money off of writing a book where like your per hour rate is really low because the publisher is going to take all the money. So you, you I mean what your rip right. is actually pretty low. Um, so it's gotta be a passion. If you're not into it, in it because you love it and you want to explore the co- concept and really help change the the world, it's a different thing. And then the yeah. books I've co-wrote, um, I I, wrote one with the soup chat guys. Um, if you're on Twitter, Mm -hmm. Uh, that was really interesting because we kind of, that one, we tried to, we found what we thought was going to be a market niche that we all felt kind of passionate about. And we went Mm -hmm. after that. Mm -hmm. And then Julie Adams who is a speaker consultant out of California kind of pulled me along with the two fully charged projects, um, which ended up being bestsellers and, um, she's amazing. And, um, that was totally, um, like it was like going, getting, uh, doctorate degree in Maslow and Bloom and neuroscience working with her. So she was amazing. Kind of pulled me along.
0: Wow. That's great. Well, good for you. And I'm just curious, you know, how do you run a school district and find time to what I feel like it's one of the hardest things to do is to sort of carve out time to sit and think and write. And especially when you've got all the, you know, you got to get to basketball games and you got inbound emails and board meetings. And how do you figure this out?
1: Uh, so a lot of the things that I'm writing about are the things that I'm processing through, as a district leader anyway. So I don't feel that it's um, a lot of times it's in concert and I process through writing, if that makes sense. So, but there's a discipline
0: required to sit and write a uh, cogent, you know, uh, an argument, a thesis and an argument. And, you know, that, that takes discipline versus just sort of talking about it and thinking about it.
1: Yeah. So my strength in writing is that I vomit ideas. So yeah. I can kick out a twenty-page paper that's really like six pages, right? But I can kick mm-hmm. out a twenty-page paper in in a in a four-hour chunk of time. Yeah. Um, thank God, my wife's an English major, so she helps refine a lot of my thinking. But um, yeah. So so the production isn't the hard part for me. The the the, the, the hardest part for me is figuring out when to stop. Right. Because as you get into a topic, so um, you, you heard me talk about time management. I've written a book on time management. I think I'm going to write another book on time management mm-hmm. um, because the deeper I've gotten into the research and the thinking and then the coaching through what um, I believed to be. So I still believe everything that I wrote in the book. I just think that's yeah. like the 101 version. Now I, I'm just so much sure. deeper in it. Um, so that, the hardest part is like putting it down, sending it off and being done. And then like for me, I, I want to continue learning about it. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's re- the really interesting pieces, but like to go to your, to talk a little bit about the passion as opposed to the market niche, like Mm -hmm. evaluations dead in the market right now. Like it's not a sexy thing to talk about. It is, it is my, like I would say my definitive strength of instructional leadership is um, that I I see evaluation differently than the law sees it, and I think you can work within huh. the law to have much more meaningful conversations. Um, and so, like when evaluate, it'll get hot again, right? Because everything's yeah. cyclical. So, right. like I'm waiting for that. Like in five years, I'm going to be all over eval. Um, time management. There's twenty thousand books on Amazon. That market mm-hmm. is saturated. Uh-huh. Like, so when you're looking at it from the entrepreneurship side, like if that's not a smart write, right, um, I just I think it's the way that I'm looking at it is different and nuanced and. I think smarter than a lot of people are looking at it. So I think that's why I have a a shot to have some market stability there. Um, But those are definitely not attacking market gaps at that point. Those markets are flooded. It's about finding the niche within it that I can exploit if I can.
0: And specifically focused on educational leadership.
1: So the, um, hopefully not. Okay. I mean, uh, just to be, just to be transparent. So, um, the, the time management one is agnostic now, right? So I, the, the way I've changed the speech is that, you know, now I'm at law firms and insurance agencies and doing all of those things. Um, and then Fully Charged, the first book we wrote was on how to connect Maslow and Bloom in the school environment. The second, the follow-up to it is now profession agnostic um, so that we can kind of get into different ways, understanding that all employees have Maslow needs and that all industries want to pull people as far as they can in terms of their critical thinking how those two things connect.
0: Interesting. You know, there's a crossover here. A lot of the events I go to when I'm in the entrepreneur investor side of my life, there's, are always three pillars. There's like, and you went to ASU GSV last year, um, K12, higher ed, corporate and the corporate ed space is kind of growing and starting to, it's interesting. This it's starting to actually connect more with K12 than it ever has before because we're all talking about future of work. And so you've got more of a kind of, um, um, you know K twelve thought pattern you're seeing with with some of these companies. In fact, I met a company uh, yesterday that is doing um, as part of my I'm a um, an advisor informal advisor to uh, to Camelback Ventures, which is a um, venture capital group that supports entrepreneurs of color. And so um, this guy's starting a company that does AI to remove bias from hiring and. Um, you know, I have no idea if how that works. I don't know anything about AI and how that, but the concept is pretty interesting, right? But we, as we started talking, he was talking about how there's a whole, we have to do a lot to educate the marketplace about, you know, unconscious bias in hiring and even in how job descriptions are written. And it starts to feed back to K-12 because if we're doing that, like with our high schoolers, if they start to understand that process, um, then you know then maybe everybody goes into the whole work world better equipped to be unbiased, right? Um, not to mention you gotta do you have to you have to have good instructional design and pedagogy to teach the HR people and all these big companies about how to implement this. So I, I see more and more connections there and it sounds like you're you're also making that that loop.
1: Yeah it's so in speaking with event planners and you know the people at schedule speakers they, they like educators in the in the secular world simply because we we do have instructional strategies and pedagogy that sometimes other speakers don't have right um, and then we also have access like we're the pipeline right like so yeah. we we are the people that have access to their future resources their greatest future resources which is human capital mm-hmm. and so figuring out how we can connect and tie those things in um and th- i think that really astute industry is understanding that schools are not just schools anymore. Like we are the social service for a lot of our communities. And yeah. so if anyone understands what the, um, what society is evolving into, even though like, I don't think we're reacting really well to it as schools, right? Like yeah. so, society's changing logarithmically and like schools are changing linearly. Yeah. Um, but I think we have a really good feel on being able to advise council coach um, as, a re- as to who they're actually getting without having to stand, stay within um, boring and nonsensical generational stereotypes.
0: Interesting, yeah. And I think you know what I'm seeing is that um, the future of school districts, probably the student services department becomes more and more important in the director of student services, the deputy superintendent for student services has a larger role maybe in the future than than he or she has in the past because of this 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 change, which you know people have largely embraced. I think there was a mentality maybe a while ago that you know school should be school and academics only, and then leave the rest to families. And the more we're learning is that the family home connect or the homeschool connection delivers results for keeping kids uh, focused and out of trouble.
1: I mean, I think I you talk to nine out of 10 teachers that would love to be just the academic side, right? Like, Hey, I'm just going to write like, this is, this is awesome. I'm going to get these perfectly stable, social, emotionally content kids. And I'm going to teach them how to read, write and do, and do really complex math. And they're like, yes, I'm in just not the reality anymore. Um, The other side piece of what you're saying with the, like this student services, I think we have to reimagine what HR looks like too. Mm.
0: Um,
1: So I think it's not just the student services that need to develop. I think that um, we're serving different adults and, we're asking adults to do really complex, difficult work and Mm -hmm. how we um, imagine what teaching looks like, I think needs to evolve as well.
0: Can you say more about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think everything from um, one of the debates we're having in our district right now is um, can teachers use our workout facility during their prep period, which to me is Uh a no brainer, right? Because like the research is really abundant. There's a lot of pushback both within The bargaining unit and other like that's just not normal in education, right? Like that's a normal corporate like perk, right? Like oh, to your lunch hour go get a workout in? Why would the union be opposed to that? Um, There's there's just internal pushback because of equity issues, right? Like not every building's gonna have the same access. It's one Uh, thing the high school, like so. There's a a myriad of different concerns. Sure. I just think this is the way that we're we're looking at how things are going to develop and what are we doing? Yeah in terms of professional development for mindfulness and wellness. And what are we doing? Like, I think there's a whole different aspect that is going to um, define school and and being an employee of a school, because ultimately here's the deal. We're not, we don't pay people well. And so the way that I always look at it is that we don't pay people to the maximum of their value on the open market if they want to go do something different. So there has to be something. So what we rely on is that teaching is this calling that we're going to serve kids, which is amazing. But given that we like, we have to do something different, right? Like it used to be benefits. Benefits are, it it is what it is. So can we make like in my small district, that's relatively poor. Can we make it an amazing place to work where we have the finest in terms of, of social, emotional, spiritual, physical wellness that we provide to teachers? Um, because we're not going to be able to compensate. Like we're going to be able to compensate literally 40 miles north, 40 miles north is a 40% increase for us. that's what we're competing against, trying to keep the highest quality.
0: Right. And 40 miles is not that far. Right. Um, You you know, what's hard about what you do though, what's hard about public education. Um, Recently, there was a story here uh, on Long Island where I am about a district that invested in, they converted a room that was no longer being used for anything into a wellness and meditation room with yoga mats. And, and, you know, I, I read the story, I'm going, Oh, that's pretty cool. And it's, it's very, that's very like, like a Wall Street firm would do that, right? Or, you know, a tech firm would do that to Im- Im- provide a, a, a wellness perk to their employees. But then you go read the comments on the story on social media and it's like, uh, you know, they're already overpaid and, you know, they already get the week, the summer's off and holidays. and But like, it immediately gets to like, people start thinking we're overpaying these people and now we're giving them yoga mats. And that's and that mentality is always going to be no matter no matter the community in some places more or less, but you're always going to have to to sort of justify that to the taxpayer um, in a way that the private corporation doesn't have to, which makes it harder for you to compete for people um, and it's just one of the many reasons why I think just you know you for you to innovate is harder than the average leader of an organization in the private sector to innovate, and I have great respect for those of you who really try to push the envelope.
1: Yeah. So I think it, so school is, it's just unique, right? Like it's unique in several ways. Like it's one of the few places where everyone has experience in it. So therefore everyone's an expert, right? So anyone that's been, that's gone through it has a depth of knowledge that, um, because, because they've, that was their experience and it wasn't necessary then. I mean, when we tried to launch our kind of technology revamp in the district, um, some of the people that were anti-technology were shocking to me. And, um, so some of that is, is true. Some of it is noise. Like some of it is just yeah. productive, non-listening to, to not be um, mindful of that. But then all the part right. is context, right? Like, right. so um, I think that in, in my district doing things like this is a little bit more um, we're very blue collar. We're very mm-hmm. Midwestern mm-hmm. conservative yeah. Christian values. Like that mm-hmm. defines us and that, that is who we are. Right. So it might be different than if we looked into um, a wealthy suburb where this was more, um, Commonplace, right? So it's hard to. So one of the things that I pride myself on, one of I think my strengths as a school leader, is that I have a very decent pulse of what's going on nationally, and a Mm -hmm. lot of it's through IEI and other connections, and talking to other superintendents, and being able to travel. Right. Um, Understanding that my community does not want me to turn my district into Palo Alto. Sure. It doesn't want me to turn my district right. into even a uh, North shore suburb. Um, you that's, know your context. that's not our identity. And right. so for me, it's like I see these amazing things that are happening for kids and for adults in the buildings. Yeah. And sometimes I have to scale it back and make it fit the context, in which I serve.
0: Right. Always the challenge, which is one of the reasons why um, we try to make a lot of the content at IEI Discussions between you all so you can share ideas and that's we get that feedback a lot that they like they go other places to hear from um, You know sort of a sort of traditional speaker and they come here to hear from other soups Which is why we're glad you're gonna be talking again this spring We got to figure out our theme is leadership. We'll figure out exactly what what you're you know What you want to talk about there, but you, you know PJ session at the um, At the January 2019 convening was really well reviewed by our group they really loved it and we again appreciate you being part of us. Um, so just uh, you know we, I could talk all day to you, but you've got to go run a school district and I got to run a company but' um, I'm, we always ask everybody who comes on talk soups to because we, we're all we're, we, we talk a lot about leadership and how leaders get there and how, how leaders think and um, every good leader I know, especially every superintendent I know, has some sort of like really killer morning ritual that gets them set up for the day. So, um, this is the segment on talk soups where I ask you, you know, what, what does a typical morning look like for, for PJ? How do you get the day going?
1: Yeah. So I, I'm either typically in one of three domains. And so I'm usually about a 4:30 wake up guy regardless. Um, but then I'm, it's ridiculous. If, when, when things are going well, that means that I'm at the gym by five. Yeah. Um, I work out at the school in the morning, shower here, and then I'm in the office by 6.15 and grinding. That's um, pretty
0: cool, though. You work out at your school gym. Yeah. Because there's a bit of – can other people – can other teachers do that? Like.
1: Yeah. So our thing is as long as you have a, a partner, so you're not in there, unsupervised. So our school cool. resource officer um, gets up with me, and um, I try to bring in some other principals, but their attendance awesome. rate. Joe, below. Joe, you need to come more. Um, if, if you catch this, um, and then, which is unfortunate for me because I should be able to find a different way when I'm writing that. Typically fills that void. Yeah. Then. So it's I, I. wake up in the morning. I get into the office at instead of six fifteen. I get in about five fifteen.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I write
1: in the morning. Um, it, yeah. I can't write at night. So like the people that finish their day yeah, job, yeah. You know, like I am mentally spent by then. I like me too. And So when I say four thirty in the morning, people look at me like this. And then I see people working past seven thirty. Like yeah. For me, a board meeting is tough. Like because we start at yep. seven, and I am mentally done um, by then. And then there's the the times where like the last mm-hmm. two weeks have just been, you know. Relatively lazy, so I'm I'm up at five thirty. I scroll through Twitter for a half hour. I hug the kids. I make a breakfast, and I'm out the door at six forty-five. And yeah, um, so I'm I'm usually falling into one of those three domains. When I'm the healthiest, kind of mentally, spiritually, physically, is when I'm getting in the gym, though.
0: Yeah, nice. So you so you try to do your writing in the morning. That's uh, that's that's something I've I've been uh trying to do as well. Because yeah, I, I'm like you. I'm a I'm a I'm a morning guy. But if if I'm at an event like it, I I you know I've been all over uh god's green earth this fall going to superintendent conferences all over the country i unfortunately i couldn't make it to illinois it was the same time as one of the other ones i can't remember but um anyway the the evening events just it's it's good when you're seeing people you know and like and all that and i can kind of you know stay uh focused but if i had to just sit and write i'm like you it's just the end of the night it's i'm, I'm toast and a little tv and fall asleep so um Oh, good. That's that's great to hear. And uh, I love the idea of the the school gym. My wife's school does that there. The teachers are allowed to work out there and it's a great, it's a great thing. And, uh, you know, it's something that a lot of, it's amazing. All the trends in sort of private sector stuff, they come to us five, 10 years later. Absolutely. Um, and, but it's good that, you know, you're, you're willing to embrace them. So, um, I, I want to make sure people know how to find you because you do, uh, you can be booked for speaking and your books are out there. So it's PJ Kaposi. That's dot com is PJ's sort of non-district life. And you can go and on Twitter, you have a superintendent Twitter and a PJ Twitter. What are your Twitter handles?
1: No. So everything is, is the same on, on Twitter. So it's okay. MCUSD, which is the district soup. S-U-P-E. I still don't get the S-U-P-T thing. I, I'll fight it till, right. till I die. I don't get it. People so, do that
0: souped, but it's like... Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's, okay. it's
1: clearly S-U-P-E. <laughs> so I'm MCUSD Soup on, or just PJ Capozzi on any social media platform from Instagram to LinkedIn to YouTube to Twitter. It's one, it's one of those two.
0: How much time do you spend doing social media stuff every week?
1: Um, I said I probably spend an hour of productive social media time.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's right looking so at your business stuff. And yeah, cause I, I find it's hard for me to just sit there and read and, and, you know, find something to say, you know, sometimes with, with IEI, it's like, a, I'm just interested in reading what's out there and, you know?
1: Yeah. So for me, what I I do like a two minute video almost every day when I get to work, whatever I'm thinking about on the drive in, I kind of just capture it in a, in a vlog. Um, and that's helped me a ton because oh, I, I put that on products- Insta uh no i twitter almost twitter you, youtube linkedin is usually what i get. I, you're tweeting I, a
0: video I, every day
1: just about um uh, <laughs> and cool. it's it's just whatever is on my mind which i used to blog about but the blog would take me 15 20 30 minutes and then right. i send it off to my wife or to make sure i don't sound like an idiot and she <laughs> edits okay. for me whereas this yeah. it's just you know 90 seconds of my car i tweeted i'm done um and i still have kind of the, the presence um and people can actually see the tone and how I speak, which yeah. tends to, to lend itself better for people that are wondering if they want to bring me into district or not.
0: See, I follow you on Twitter. I'm not spending enough time there cause I'm not seeing this. So I'm, I will start retweeting Set alerts. Yeah, there you go. I will. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, PJ, PJ's great. So you can find him in those places. Of course, everybody knows how to find IEI at IEI underscore K12 um, or me at Doug Roberts underscore IEI. Um, if you're looking at, you know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving here. PJ and I are here talking on November, whatever this is, 19th. Um, so by the time you're hearing this, Thanksgiving may be upon us, but we're, we're really locking in. Uh, we have a few, we actually met some great superintendents in Dallas last week at the NABSI conference, who I think are going to be joining us. I'm really excited about, um, uh, including uh, Dr. Joe Davis from Ferguson, Missouri. I'm really interested to hear his, his story over the last five years, because that's been a, that's been a tough tough situation there um anyway so we just added a few folks to the group and we're talking with a ton of sponsors we, we do have a couple of spots left for the palm springs gathering on january 20th if you're interested uh email me doug at institute for an and you can hang with i guess it'll be with joe uh in january and then pj in new orleans in may um so please stay in touch thanks for listening dr capozzi thanks for being here really appreciate you being on Awesome uh,
1: conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah,
0: same. Look forward to, uh, we'll we'll catch your your vlogs in the car in the morning at 5.15. All right. (laughs) Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good day. All right.
1: No, no.